art of transcendent knowledge. Thus have I heard, once the Blessed One was dwelling in Rajagriya at Vulture Peak Mountain, together with a great gathering of the Sangha of monks and a great gathering of the Sangha of Bodhisattvas. At that time, the Blessed One entered the Samadhi that expresses the Dharma called profound illumination. And at the same time, Noble Avogateshvara, the Bodhisattva Mahasattva, while practicing the profound Prajnaparamita, saw in this way. He saw the five skandhas to be empty of nature. Then, through the power of the Buddha, Venerable Shariputra said to Noble Avogateshvara, the Bodhisattva Mahasattva, How should a son or daughter of noble family train who wishes to practice a profound Prajnaparamita? Addressed in this way, Noble Avogateshvara, the Bodhisattva Mahasattva, said to Venerable Shariputra, O Shariputra, a son or daughter of noble family who wishes to practice the profound Prajnaparamita should see in this way, seeing the five skandhas to be empty of nature. Form is emptiness, emptiness also is form, emptiness is no other than form, form is no other than emptiness. In the same way, feeling, perception, formation, and consciousness are emptiness. Thus, Shariputra, all dharmas are emptiness. There are no characteristics. There is no birth and no cessation. There is no impurity and no purity. There is no decrease and no increase. Therefore, Shariputra, in emptiness, there is no form, no feeling, no perception, no formation, no consciousness, no eye, no ear, no nose, no tongue, no body, no mind, no appearance, no sound, no smell, no taste, no touch, no dharmas, no eye datu up to no mind datu, no datu of dharmas, no mind consciousness datu, no ignorance, no end of ignorance up to old age and death, no end of old age and death, no suffering, no origin of suffering, no cessation of suffering, no path, no wisdom, no attainment, and no non-attainment. Therefore, Shariputra, since the Bodhisattvas have no attainment, they abide by means of Prajnaparamita. Since there is no obscuration of mind, there is no fear. They transcend falsity and attain complete nirvana. All the Buddhas of the three times by means of Prajnaparamita fully awaken to unsurpassable, true, complete enlightenment. Therefore, the great mantra of Prajnaparamita, the mantra of great insight, the unsurpassed mantra, the unequaled mantra, the mantra that calms all suffering should be known as truth since there is no deception. Prajnaparamita mantra is said in this way, Te Ata Om Gate Gate Paragate Parasangati Bodhisoha. Thus Shariputra, the Bodhisattva Mahasattva, should train in the profound Prajnaparamita. Then the Blessed One arose from that samadhi and praised noble Avogateshvara, the Bodhisattva Mahasattva, saying, Good, good, O son of noble family, thus it is, O son of noble family, thus it is. One should practice the profound Prajnaparamita just as you have taught, and all the Tathagatas will rejoice. And when the Blessed One had said this, Venerable Shariputra and noble Avogateshvara, the Bodhisattva Mahasattva, that whole assembly in the world with its gods, humans, asuras, and gandharvas rejoiced and praised the words of the Blessed One. Hello. 
The fundamental ground is scented with incense and strewn with flowers. Adorned with Mount Meru, the four continents, the sun and the moon. I imagine this as a Buddha land and offer it. May all sentient beings enjoy this pure realm. Holy Lamas high, wrap the sky of your Dharma bodies in massive clouds of knowledge and love, and let them pour upon the earth of your disciples as we are ready, a shower of rain, the teachings deep and wide. <laughs> Jesus, <laughs> 
Lavitimuradumarbeta, ne so again, we're uh, uh, looking at the text, the great treatise on the stage of the path to enlightenment by Lama Tsongkhapa. Uh, and we'll look at the outline initially, because if we keep going over the outline again and again, then when we hear these topics, we'll know exactly what these topics mean. Uh, so it's important for us to go over this again and again or familiarize ourselves with this. Uh, so it begins with uh, how to rely upon the teacher that is the root of the path. And then the second category of how students train their minds after having relied upon the teacher. Uh, under that heading, we have an exhortation to take full advantage of a life of leisure and opportunity. And then a category of how to take full advantage of a life of leisure and opportunity. Under the heading of how to take full advantage of a life of leisure and opportunity, we have three major points. Training the mind in the stage of the past shared in common with beings of small capacity, training the mind in the stage of the past shared in common with beings of medium capacity, and training the mind in the stage of the path for beings of great capacity. The first category, training the, stage, training the mind in the stage of the past shared in common with beings of small capacity, has three categories. The actual training of thought of a person of small capacity, the measure of the attitude of a person of small capacity, and dispelling any misconceptions related to a person of small capacity. Uh, under the actual training of thought of a person of small capacity, the two categories, developing a state of mind that strives diligently for the sake of future lives and relying on a means or a method for achieving happiness in one's next life. Under the category of relying on a means of achieving happiness in one's next life, which is under the major heading of the actual training of thought of a person of small capacity, we find two categories. First, uh, refuge, and then uh, karma and its results. And the actual uh, heading 
under the category of karma and its results is uh, developing uh, faith and conviction uh, in uh, karma and its result that is uh, the root of all uh, temporary happiness and certain uh, goodness. Uh, so um, this is the major heading. And then there are three different categories under that heading. First, reflecting on karma and its results in general. Uh, then reflecting on karma and its results uh, in detail or specifically uh, in a particular way, and then ref how to engage in virtue and turn away from non-virtue after you've uh, reflected on karma and its effects in general and specifically, or in general and in detail. Uh, so this is the order of the outline that we are going to go through. Dixon. <laughs> So the first major category, uh, reflecting on karma and its effects in general, uh, has two categories. The actual way in which you reflect in general, uh, and then reflecting on the distinctions uh, among the varieties of karma, or the differences among the varieties of karma. Uh, so the first category of the actual way to reflect uh, in general has four points. The certainty of karma, the magnification of karma, not experience the effects of actions that you did not do, and that the actions you have done do not perish or do not cease. Uh, so these are the four categories. So we're on page 210 uh, in the English of the Lam Rim Chemo, uh, uh, where we begin with those four categories and the certainty of karma. So we're on page 210 and we're going to rely upon uh, the text uh, where it begins with uh, um, the categories of uh, Reflecting on karma's effects in general, reflecting on it specifically, and how you uh, modify your behavior after you've reflected on karma's effects in general uh, and specifically. So these are the the uh, or how to cage, engage in virtue and turn away from non-virtue after you reflected on karma and its effects in general and specifically. Uh, so we're going to begin uh, with those three parts, beginning with reflecting on karma and its effects in general, uh, and uh, in the two categories, and then the four. So then when we get into this section, uh, when we read through in the Lam Rim, it says then, uh, reflecting on karma and its effects in general are divided into two. The actual way to reflect on karma, uh, the actual way in which to reflect in general, uh, and then the uh, um, reflecting on the distinctions among the varieties uh, of karma, uh, uh, in the uh, distinctions among the individual uh, thinking of the distinctions of the individual karmas. Uh, so we begin then with the four. Uh, it says, uh, I'm just reading the Lamrim Chemo in Tibetan right, right now. We begin now with the four. Uh, and these four are under the heading called the certainty of karma. 
Uh, um, and then uh, the four are the certainty of karma, the magnification of karma, not experiencing the effects of actions that you do not do, and the actions that you have done do not perish. Uh, so these are the uh, um, four categories uh, under the certainty of karma. And just as a note, in, in the Tibetan, uh, it goes through them individually. You don't see that four listed. It goes the first one, then the explanation, then the second one, the explanation. This, you don't have this little outline. Okay. So we begin with the certainty uh, of karma. Uh, so here, uh, this is referring to, when we speak of karma, we're referring to action. And this is action that we uh, engage in through our body, speech, uh, and mind. Uh, Non-virtuous activities, uh, um, uh, we can say, are the negative deeds that we do through our, non uh, through our body, speech, and mind. And we could expand the word non-virtue by um, uh, qualifying it, or by using the term the ten non-virtuous uh, activities. So any among the ten non-virtuous activities, or non-virtue, that we engage in through our body, speech, and mind uh, causes suffering. Uh, necessarily. It certainly will produce suffering because non-virtue necessarily produces suffering. And when we speak of uh, virtue, uh, this is action that is virtuous that we engage in through our body, speech, and mind. Uh, and if we look at it in terms of the ten non-virtuous activities, if we abandon those non-virtuous uh, activities, uh, then this becomes the ethics which abandons the ten non-virtuous non activities, or among the ten non-virtuous activities. Uh, so if we abandon any among the three non-virtues of the body, or the four non-virtues of the speech, or three non-virtues of the mind, uh, then we necessarily are engaging in an ethics which abandons uh, any among the ten non-virtuous activities. Uh, so this is uh, um, how we engage in uh, virtue, uh, and virtue necessarily gives rise to happiness. Uh, so this is the certainty of virtue. So the certainty of non-virtue is that it gives rise to, to suffering, and the certainty of virtue
virtue is that it necessarily gives rise to happiness. Uh, um, so uh, this is what is meant by that. And my question that I just asked is that, is that does the, um, uh, the ethics which abandons the ten non-virtuous activities require renunciation? Because of the previous discussion that if it's a, a ethics that there requires renunciation. Uh, and Rinpoche uh, qualified that, that that is specifically speaking of the individual uh, liberation ethics. Uh, so the individual liberation uh, ethics necessarily require renunciation. So before, if that was uh, uh, said in a way that was different, uh, the individual liberation ethics require this renunciation. And Rinpoche asked if this was real ethics, if one abandons the ten non-virtues, if he or she doesn't have renunciation. And in this case, this is ethics. The ethics that are qualified by having renunciation are the individual liberation vows, those those sets of the eight, uh, those are, are necessarily uh, have renunciation in order for it to be called one engaging in that ethic. Okay, so just to clarify that. So we'll do. That leg, he led the law of the devil, the one and the other, and also Malay at the one do, and the season summer the one do, the one do, the one da, and then the one the heavy business at the one. What did the one the Malay do, and then the Luda? ハダサマルオドワイエトロタドワイデジュカンテネシュワレスナジュテギレレテネシュワレスタドドゲンデジュカンテネシュワレスナネメギレレテネドゲンシュワレスドゲンタサベリセティンサマルベンデンドゲン
uh, where did these suffering, where did this suffering come from? Where did these suffering uh, feelings come from? And they necessarily came from non-virtue. Uh, when we look at the four noble truths, uh, we find uh, the first statement that Buddha made is that this is the superior truth of suffering. Uh, and under that statement, the superior truth of suffering, we can divide suffering into three categories: the suffering of uh, suffering, the suffering of change, and pervasive compounded suffering. Uh, and this is where the terms become important. Uh, so when we look at these different categories, if we look at this last kind of suffering, the pervasive compounded suffering, this is the suffering that makes us, because of our karma and afflictions, uh, take on a set of aggregates again and again and again that is beyond our control. We are forced into these set of aggregates uh, because of our karma and afflictions that possess these various types of, of suffering uh, and, uh, and happiness just mentioned. Uh, so this being forced again and again is the pervasive compounded suffering. Now we say that this uh, um, reality isn't a feeling of suffering. It's a reality. This being forced into these aggregates is a fact. It's not a feeling, of, uh, a tactile feeling or a feeling of suffering. Uh, so we say that the, this pervasive compounded suffering is suffering but not pain. And then when we look at the other types of suffering, the suffering of change, the suffering of change is suffering but not pain. Uh, because it's not a feeling of suffering. Uh, just as a note, it's happiness. Uh, that's just a note. And then the suffering of suffering is a feeling of suffering. So it is suffering and it's pain. Uh, so the suffering of suffering is the, the suffering we're speaking of when we speak of a feeling of pain. Uh, that's the suffering of suffering. And it's the only one that we can say is pain under the cat three categories. Because the other two are suffering, but they're not pain. Is that clear? Does it make sense? Can I ask one quick question? Uh, Just to clarify. Trio decent. Oh, okay. The suffering, yeah. the suffering change is... I can suffering of change is not pain. Okay. Pervasive compounded suffering is not pain. Right. But all of those are, are suffering. Right. But not only one of them, the suffering of suffering is pain. Thank you. Okay. Yeah. Tang so then, when we get to the text and we start to see terms, it's important that we know what these terms mean. So here, this first says, whether of ordinary or noble beings. Uh, so when we divide beings or persons into categories, we divide them into two categories, ordinary beings and superior beings, or noble beings, sometimes translated as. Those superiors, a lot of times the Sanskrit is used, which is Arya. So a superior, uh, 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 um, noble one, an aria, these are all the same thing everyone's talking about. So superiors are beings who have uh, achieved the path of seeing. If one has not achieved the path of seeing, then he or she is an ordinary being. If the path of seeing has been achieved, 
then he or she is a superior, a noble being, an Arya. So this is the, the line between ordinary being and Arya being. It is the path of seeing. So once one reaches the path of seeing, then he or she becomes a superior, a noble, an Arya. Uh, so this is the differentiation uh, between the two types of beings. There are no other types of beings or persons, only ordinary and superior. And any type of happiness that they have is from virtue, and any type of suffering that they experience is from non-virtue. Uh, so this is a certain, a certainty. Dixon. What that the name, what the debugging the Buddha, the what the Waji, the Hagan the Buddha, so we find uh, that misdeeds necessarily give rise to the feeling of suffering. And virtuous deeds give rise to the hap feelings of happiness. Uh, and where do we find this presentation? We find it in uh, Nagarjuna's uh, Precious Garland, where it says, From non-virtues come all sufferings, and likewise all miserable realms. From virtues come all happy realms, and the joys in all rebirths. Uh, so here we can find how we define uh, virtue and non-virtue right in this stanza here, how it's defined. Uh, so then, now that we uh, come to the point where we say that all feelings of uh, um, uh, um, happiness uh, come from uh, um, virtue and all feelings of suffering come from non-virtue, then a doubt uh, arises. Um, do we say um, that in the fourth concentration level or any among the four formless absorptions uh, that this is not caused by uh, virtue? And the reason this doubt arises is because there is an equanimity of feeling in all of those states. Uh, so there isn't a feeling, uh, a feeling of this or that. There's equanimity related to feeling. Uh, so then you have to, then the question arises, this state is a note, which is a high state. This is a high state. Uh, is this, how, is this caused by virtue? Because it's not, a, there's no feeling there. So this is just something you start to think about in terms of how that would, how that relates. The next thing you think about is if misdeeds necessarily give rise to, uh, uh, certainly give rise to suffering, then we find the story uh, of the pig. 
um, who uh, was, uh, I'm sorry, of the God who was going to be born as a pig uh, and then went to Indra and uh, then as a result of advice went for refuge to the Buddha, the Dharma, and the Sangha uh, and then wasn't born as a pig, was actually uh, able to be born as a God. Uh, so then we say, uh, then how is this possible? Then if it necessarily gives rise to that, how is this how is that possible uh, gets into uh, happiness and suffering uh, do not arise causelessly. They do not arise from uh, non-concordant causes or incompatible causes and so forth. Uh, so then J. Lama Tsongkhapa gets into uh, the uh, how uh, virtue and non-virtue, uh, uh, I mean how happiness and suffering uh, are, are arisen. Uh, he gets into it by, by way of proof showing that it's not arisen causelessly and it's not arisen from incompatible causes. The Jume, the Pamba, the Jumel Chigmaris, Tene, Jumel Chigmaris, Tambo, two Tanshus Ulchena, Matimjil Chibro, Jumel Chigmaris, that Jumel Chuna Chunkarius and the water to get Jumel Chibayina, the Wal Jew Maris, Dungele Jew Maslovina, and the water to tattoo your Batiana, to tattoo Mabatas, dark part, okay. So then, then there are various negations that are made within this these statements. So why is it that happiness and suffering do not arise causelessly? Uh, so why is that? What's the reason for this? Uh, first uh, point that's made is if there was no cause for the sentient beings suffering and happiness, then they would perpetually have it. They would perpetually have happiness. They would always have happiness or they would always have suffering. Uh, and if we uh, looked at it in that case, then the Buddha would have suffering. Uh, if it was causeless, if things, happiness and, and suffering uh, were causeless, then the Buddha would perpetually have suffering. Then the hell being would have the Buddha's happiness if things were causeless. Uh, so these are the consequences of stating that there is a causeless. Uh, first, if there was uh, no cause for happiness, there would always be happiness. If there was no cause for suffering, there would always be suffering. If there was no cause for happiness, uh, um, uh, um, uh, there, if it was causeless, then Buddha's happiness would also have suffering, and a hell being would have the Buddha's realizations of happiness. Uh, so these are the consequences of stating that they are causeless. <laughs> Ne chitu to what they are is 
вот не гул самел чива дизе не шизул чиваре дал чивала дрота туно оде шизул чива ина матюби джельчи джельчи негресу марбе ана гасунди тона so the next uh, negation is dealing with uh, the things that are arisen from a creator, such as Shiva, uh, or a, a primal essence, or a, a, a primal substance. Uh, so this primal essence is uh, negating the school of the Samkhya tradition, the enumerators. Uh, so the enumerators state that there is this primal essence within things uh, that make it so that, for instance, a rice seed already has the sprout within it. Uh, so all causes have within them the results already because of this primal essence, uh, this essence, this uh, uh, um, general nature that it has. Uh, so uh, it's saying that all things uh, are, arise from this primal essence and that causes already have the results within them because this primal essence is what causes everything to, to occur. Uh, so. Uh, th this uh, is negated because this is incompatible with what it produces. Uh, for instance, a, uh, um, things have to be concordant with their results. Uh, so a rice seed doesn't create a mango tree. A mango seed doesn't create a rice plant. A human can't birth an animal. An animal doesn't birth a human. So the causes have to be compatible with their results. Uh, and when we look at a, uh, the idea of a uh, creator God, or we look at uh, such as Shiva, and, or we look at this idea that there's a primal essence, uh, there's incompatibility with the result. Uh, so this is why there's a negation that's made here. <laughs> So if we could plant rice and get corn, then there'd be possible for an incompatible cause to uh, give rise to uh, something. So if things do not arise uh, causelessly, if happiness and suffering don't arise causelessly, and they don't arise from incompatible causes, then what do they arise from? And we say that happiness arises from virtue, Suffering arises from non-virtue, and these are their compatible causes. Uh, and it's it's stated in the great treatise that this is the correct the the correct worldly viewpoint. Uh, so this is the uh, correct view, worldly view. Um, uh, we just to, I'm adding the Rimche is adding the word worldly to correct view because correct view usually refers to 
the nature of reality. Worldly correct view is the correct view about the way things are. Uh, so that, that's the differentiation in terminology there, just from a note in the English. Uh, so that's the, the correct view is that virtue comes from, I mean, happiness comes from virtue, suffering comes from non-virtue. So that's the correct worldly viewpoint. Okay, so then Jayan Sheba states that in in a in summary, he states that uh, if happiness and suffering do not arise causelessly and they do not arise from incompatible cause, how do they arise? They arise from uh, the uh, um, virtue and non-virtue, virtue causing happiness, non-virtue causing suffering, and this is the correct worldly viewpoint. So this is stated by Jayan Sheba in his summary. So, and the reason that it's stated is we find in the Lamrim Chemo of the same point. It says, of karma and its effects is called Attaining certain knowledge of definiteness or non-deceptiveness of karma's effect is called the correct viewpoint for all Buddhists and is praised as the foundation of all virtue. This is a, um, a hard material. This is a hard material that if we, th and it's very important material. So it's, imp it's important that we think about this over and over again and, and have a very stable understanding of it. Mm. So here, the magnification of karma is the next category on page 211. Uh, and it, it uh, gets into the fact that uh, internal magnification is much greater than external magnification. When we look at the external magnification of cause and effect, uh, we see it in terms of trees uh, and rivers uh, and, and mountains uh, uh, and, and water and so forth. So these are the external things that are produced. Uh, well, we don't see the, the level of magnification externally as we do internally. And the, that is that if a very, very small amount of virtue, in, intern, when we're speaking internally, causes a great amount of happiness. A very small amount of non-virtue causes a great amount of suffering. Uh, so we don't see the same level of magnification externally as we do internally. What this one is at Marabel? Le Pecho and Le Guachung Le Dang Devo and Doashin to Chow and Jungla Le Magua Chung Le Dang Devo Dungashin to Chow and Jungwe Nagi Juniji Pain Dawa Pain Dawa Shiriji Jundila Mentos Nagi Jundi 
The magnification of karma and an effect of immense happiness may arise from even a small virtuous karma. An effect of immense suffering may arise from even a tiny non-virtuous karma. Hence, internal karmic causation seems to involve a magnification that is not found in external causation. Uh, so we do not see the level of magnification externally uh, related to cause and effect uh, that we do uh, internally. This magnification is not found. Then we find, moreover, it is said in the collection of indicative verses. The collection of indicative verses were verses that were uh, put together at a, the Buddhist council by the faux destroyers. Uh, uh, in order to uh, um, um, uh, recount what the Buddha stated. So this is a collection of all of those things that the faux destroyer stated, the Buddha stated, uh, and this is in a text. Uh, it's called the Collection of Indicative Verses. It says, Like a poison that has been ingested, the commission of even a small sin creates in your lives hereafter great fear and a terrible downfall. Uh, as when grain ripens into a bounty, even this creation of small merit leads in lives hereafter to great happiness and will be immensely meaningful as well. So things pointed out were uh, even the smallest uh, non-virtue uh, gives rise to uh, uh, great fear and a terrible downfall, a great amount of suffering. So a small amount of non-virtue gives rise to a great amount of suffering. It says in, in your lives hereafter, so in future lives. Uh, so a small amount of non-virtue gives rise to great amounts of suffering in future lives. And then the same is said to be true about a small amount of merit. It leads to great amount of happiness in future lives. Uh, so Rinpoche, uh, the word in Tibetan, lives hereafter, is Rinpoche wanted to make sure everyone's clear, is that in future lives, uh, so in our future lives, uh, we will have this. In our future lives, we will have that. Uh, so suffering, small suffering, a small amount of hap uh, non-virtue will give rise to a great amount of, of suffering. A small amount of virtue give rise to a great amount of happiness. So 
So then there's many <coughs> stories that support the fact that a small amount of virtue gives rise to a great amount of happiness and a small amount of non-virtue gives rise to a great amount of suffering. Uh, so then it's stated, become certain about how great effects may arise from small actions by studying the narratives of past events presented in texts, such as... So it says, uh, by studying the narratives of past events presented in texts, such as the basis of discipline, the Sutra of the Wise and the Foolish, the Hundred Action Sutra, for example, there are stories from the basis of discipline. So within this text, the basis of discipline, there are various stories about the herdsman Nanda and the frog beaten by his staff. So uh, of a cow, remember she said a cowboy that beat a frog with a, a staff. Uh, uh, um, and then uh, was born 500, as 500 frogs. Uh, the goose, the fish, the 500 tortoises, the 500 uh, hungry ghosts, the farmer, the 500 bulls, and from the Sutra of the Wise and the Foolish, the accounts of uh, Suvarna Devata, Suvarna Vasu, and uh, Hastipala. Uh, so these, Jayan Sheva says, uh, even if the individual stories aren't clear, are all explanations of one point. And they are explaining through by way of story that virtue, a small virtue, can give rise to a great amount of happiness, and a small non-virtue can give rise to a great amount of suffering. Uh, so these uh, stories uh, uh, show the, these points. Show these points. What that means? ตาเตชามะเปนตะตะเกชามะเปนตะตะกะลานินอลูจิเตนตัวชามะเปนตะตะชามะเปนตะตะเกลูจิลูวะเตตะตะตะมุตะวะเตตะกิงอัตชีเ
uh, uh, Rinpoche's uh, 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 text on the Lam Rim, where it begins with a very similar point. Uh, it states that uh, internal uh, cause and effect is magnified much greater than external cause and effect. So it first is stated that uh, there's a great, much greater magnification internally when we look at cause and effect than externally. So it goes over the same thing that's posited by Lama Tsongkhapa just at the initial part of the text Rimchase using now. So it begins with one small non-virtue. So it begins with uh, non-virtue, and then it gets into virtue. So it begins with one small non-virtue can give rise to a great amount of suffering. Uh, so then it'll tell stories about that, this text that Rinpoche is using, uh, Shamar Rinpoche. And then the second uh, part will show how uh, virtuous, a small virtuous action can give rise to a great amount of happiness. So, when we begin then with the, the section that deals with a small amount of, of non-virtue... Okay, a small amount of non-virtue uh, giving rise uh, to a great amount of suffering. And we find first the story of uh, the monk uh, who was uh, um, uh, where he lived there was a tree behind him where he would sit and there was a tree uh, in the area uh, and he it hit his head on it um, and became very angry uh, at the fact that the tree hit him in the head um, uh, hit his he hit his head on the tree so he became angry at the tree um, and uh, then uh, went against the advice of Lord Buddha so within the advices of for monastic it stated not to cut down trees so he said it won't harm anything uh, this tree is of no use and he cuts cut the tree down um, going against the advices and it stated that as a result uh, this was during the time of Buddha Shakyamuni uh, that when he passed from that life uh, um, as a monk, he was born as a Naga uh, with a tree growing out of his head. Uh, and he stayed that way as a Naga with a tree growing out of his head. Uh, he would stay that way, uh, this was prophesied by the Buddha, until the coming of Lord Maitreya. Uh, the, so the question. Oh, okay. Uh, my, my question was. Um, whether the suffering of, of change was uh, equal to all happiness, 
and also whether the suffering of change contained within its category anything other than happiness. Uh, so Rimache answered this question as follows. Uh, the suffering of change uh, is referring to contaminated happiness um, because the consequence to saying that all happiness is the suffering of change is that the Buddhist happiness then would categorically fall under the suffering of change. So it's only contaminated happiness that we're referring to. So all contaminated happiness uh, is the suffering of change. And then uh, asked in more detail, if it was synonymous, Rinpoche said, yes, contaminated happiness and the suffering of change are synonymous. So that was the answer to that. Okay, can I just ask a question? What is... I'm sorry. I'm sorry. What? I don't understand contaminated happiness. What is happiness? So contaminated happiness is speaking of that unstable kind of happiness, the one that isn't consistent, the one that uh, uh, can go from that to something else. So for instance, when we become hot uh, and then we get in front of a, a fan and it cools us off, that happiness will eventually become uncomfortable. We will eventually not want uh, that wind blowing on us, so it will transform into a state of unhappiness. So it's that unstable type of happiness that we're speaking of that isn't consistent when we're speaking of contaminated. Uh, so that's what is stated. Yes? Uh, one more qu question, Ted. Uh, yeah, we'll do. Mm. So if we asking questions is good because if you ask a question then you'll know what the meaning of it is, what you're wondering about is. This is a question about the certainty of karma. Okay. And when we pray, I uh, hope you enjoy happiness and the causes of happiness, or I hope you're free from suffering and the causes of suffering if someone else's karma is already determined, why would we make those wishes or aspirations for them? Then the true the Garshening Natsu Molanjaru, the Leng Epa, the Mekanga the Le Yure, the Leng Epa Yin, then Sansang Natsu Molanjaru, then Senchen Tamche Dewadang, the then Garshening Natsu Molanjaru, Gangasin a consul lay J Tugumare. So when we're making aspirational prayers, for instance, when we're making an aspirational prayer, may all sentient beings have happiness in the causes of happiness. We are, uh, um, when we make that prayer, we're benefiting first ourself uh, to, be, to uh, be able to have the causes of happiness. So by making this prayer, uh, we're, we're uh, benefiting ourself uh, by creating the causes for ourselves to have happiness. 
When we're saying this prayer, may all sentient beings have happiness in the causes of happiness. May all sentient beings be free from suffering in the causes of suffering. We are familiarizing ourselves with the first line with love and familiarizing ourselves with the second line with compassion. So this is benefiting us so that we will eventually be able to become a Buddha, which is caused by these aspirations. And then when we become a Buddha, although at the time of making the prayer, we aren't capable of helping those beings or changing their karma, we in the very far future or, or in, the, in the future will be able to because we will become a Buddha and then we will be capable of helping all sentient beings in that way because of our state of omniscience that we will, we will have. So we'll truly be able to bring sentient beings to a state of happiness and truly be able to help them abandon their suffering when we become a Buddha. And because of making aspirational prayers for those individuals, we will connect to those individuals' continuums when we become enlightened. When we make those aspirations, are we in some ways are changing our own karma. Suppose I have bad karma from history and when I make that, is that shifting my karma? So when we're making those uh, prayers, those are virtuous prayers. So we're leaving within our continuums virtue that will give rise to happiness in the future. Uh, so when we say changing, uh, I asked the word change, and Rinpoche just said we'll, we're adding something that will then be cause for happiness. Um, so by making aspirations, it does purify our misdeeds. So then the word change is uh, an okay word to use uh, um, because it's purifying our misdeeds and leaving the causes for happiness in the future. Thank you. You're welcome. Is that clear? Yes. Okay. Think so. <clears throat> Uh, okay, so there's examples about the magnification of karma that a small or a amount of uh, non-virtue gives rise to a great amount of suffering, a small amount of virtue gives rise to a great amount of happiness. And there's many stories to show this. For instance, with the cowboy who beats the frog and so forth. So there's many stories to give examples of this uh, in the Lamrim Chemo. Chida 
Najil Jagagunova and a Shubuji Mazal Jane Mazal Jane, the Gul Padabamboni Zuina. And the Bogus Jitwala Namangaya, the San Tagatanga, and the Sajigi choose one, Dajumatu Mores. What a good ネス、ちょっと単純で、ずっと全部言うからね。のこのせんだもかな。こう。でね、リジ。で、まずしょぶじりじね。あの、僕にじばいんだからな。おでりじ。でね、チュンじゃね、なんだじょうとばしまんべ
And also the story during the time of the Buddha uh, where the small child uh, offered a handful of sand with the right motivation to the Buddha uh, as an offering and this resulted in him being born as King Ashokya. So near Varanasi, there are four lions. Uh, um, I'm not familiar with the name of the place. I apologize. Four lions, and these are made by King Ashokya. Ashoka. Yeah. Near uh, near Varanasi. I'm sorry, I don't know the place's name. I apologize. So during the time of Sanjay, so Buddha, during the time of uh, Buddha uh, Kashapa, there is a story of a, a, um, a man who was meditating, and uh, um, outside there were people reciting texts and, and so forth, uh, uh, and debating, reciting texts and saying, doing rituals. Uh, and uh, he became very upset and impatient and disturbed by their reciting and went out and said, it doesn't, it doesn't sound like you're, you sound like a bunch of frogs ribbiting. Uh, it doesn't sound like you're saying prayers at all. You sound like frogs ribbiting. Uh, and it stated that as a result of saying these harsh things to the uh, group of, of uh, monks, he was born as a frog 500 times. What is that? Karsa Dua 
So the next part uh, deals with uh, um, uh, things that have lapsed, uh, what the results are. It says, furthermore, there are those who have partially lapsed in these four things, ethical discipline, rituals, uh, livelihood, and philosophical view. That is, they have not at all lapsed in the latter, but have not completely accomplished pure forms of the former three. The Buddha said that such people will be born as Nagas. Uh, so the first, it says uh, four things. Ethical discipline. Ethical discipline is referring to the four root disciplines. Uh, no killing, no stealing, uh, uh, sexual misconduct, uh, and uh, abandoning lying. Uh, so these four are the uh, what ethical discipline is referring to. Rituals is referring to any ethics which falls outside of that ethical discipline. So such as the various advices of what to do and what not to do, which are given. So any th ethical ethics which falls out of the realm of the four root ethics is what this rituals is referring to. Uh, livelihood means abandoning a wrong way of living, a wrong livelihood, a wrong a wrong livelihood. Uh, and philosophical view is referring to the view of karma and its results, the, the faith, developing faith and conviction in karma and its results, and so forth. Uh, um, uh, so here, this is saying that if someone has lapsed with their uh, um, ethics, the root four ethics, 
uh, ethical disciplines or uh, the, other than those root four ethics, which are rituals, or engaged in some sort of uh, livelihood which is wrong, if they haven't lapsed relative to the philosophical view, if they still have this wisdom, which is a faith of conviction in karma and its results, uh, if they still have faith uh, in, in, in this, uh, then it's stated that they will not be born into the hell realm. They'll be born as a uh, Naga in the Naga's realm. So if there hasn't been a lapse related to uh, their uh, um, uh, philosophical view, uh, then uh, they're, and, and again, uh, when we're speaking of uh, philosophical view, we're talking about the fact that the certainty of karma, the karma that it doesn't come, arise causelessly, uh, happiness and suffering don't arise causelessly or from incompatible things and so forth. So as long as that philosophical view, which is the wisdom, which is the correct worldly view, isn't lapse, doesn't lapse, then one will be born as a Naga as opposed to a, a lower than that rebirth. So. <laughs> So so there are those those laws that are specific or for the individuals and then there are those general laws or uh, uh, um, uh, general advices or laws so those that are uh, when we speak of general uh, so for instance um, uh, so I'll do this first. So when we speak of general, uh, for instance, a householder and a monk and a nun are supposed to abstain from killing. So this is something that would be a general uh, thing to advise not to do. So they're both advised not to do this. Um, and then, but a monk or a nun is advised not to cut down a tree. But this isn't something that's found in the householder advices. Uh, so this is something that's specific to the individual. Uh, or uh, uh, behavior that's general and behavior that's specific to the individual. Um, and uh, so when we look at uh, these, uh, going back to the uh, um, different types of, uh, it says these four things. Ethical discipline, when we look at the four roots, we find those four roots uh, in all of the um, various places. We find the ethics which abandons the, the ten non-virtues. We find those four roots in the ten non-virtues. We find the four roots in the householder vows. We find those four roots in the fully ordained vows. We follow those four roots in the uh, probationary and the novice vows. So these four roots are something that we find in all of them. And then the other advices, such as, uh, um, for instance, the rituals of uh, um, a not, uh, advices such as not drinking beer, uh, this would fall into that next category of rituals and then the livelihood and then the philosophical view uh, as just explained. 
and the Kisan Lu Mamu had the Kajibas, Nyan Chigomare, Chudin Yaraka Mamre, Lulijamas, Lulijan Lumacha, that is, Shippen, Luigi, then also Jewan Judiciousness was, what the Kalej So the Buddha said that such people will be born as Nagas, and then there's the questions of the Naga kings of the ocean. It says, uh, Bhagavan. In the beginning of the eon, I lived in the great ocean, and the Tathagata uh, uh, Krakachanda was in the world. At that time, the Nagas and their sons and daughters within the great ocean had become few, and even I uh, had reduced retinue. Uh, so at this time, he's saying there were very few uh, um, boy and girl Nagas in the world at that time. It says, uh, during the Krakachanda, it says, Now, Bhagavan, uh, the Nagas and their sons and daughters within the great ocean are immeasurable and their numbers have no limit. O Bhagavan, what are the causes and conditions for this? And the Bhagavan said, O Lord of Nagas, there have been those who have renounced the world and went forth into discipline. Uh, so here, uh, this is speaking into the, dis the discipline. This is speaking of uh, uh, householder vows, um, uh, fully ordained vows, novice vows, etc. So they have gone into the discipline, the well-spoken teaching, but who did not completely perfect the pure ethical discipline. Uh, so they did not completely perfect uh, the uh, ethical discipline, uh, the root, which is the root for rituals and livelihood. Uh, so it's saying they did not uh, have that pure, not completely perfect, pure ethical discipline. They were not completely perfect in their rituals, had deteriorated. Their livelihood, uh, uh, um, their perfect, uh, uh, I'm sorry, but who had, did not completely perfect the pure ethical discipline. They were not completely perfect in that their rituals had deteriorated, their livelihood had deteriorated, and their ethical discipline had deteriorated. Still, their view was straight. They had not been born among the living beings of the hells. They were upon their death reborn in the places where Nagas were born. Uh, so what, what had not lapsed, where it says their view was straight, their view, uh, their refuge, going for refuge in the Buddha, the Dharma, and the Sangha, uh, and their faith and conviction in karma and its result. Uh, so these views did not lapse. Therefore, instead of being born in the hell realm, they were born as Nagas. Well, that's how you go and you get the Luma in the Luma Chimbata, Rajun Kazishum Vares, and the Sanji to Zuki, Natamba, the Sanji to Zuki, Luma Chimbata, Rajun Kasikasishum Varesana, what is letting me there? They are Tamba Koanji, Tambala, Chimbata, Rajun, Shivata J. Tansa, Shivata J. Shivata J. Jumbares, Tamba, Setuji Tambala, Shivata to Jurege. Then <laughs> Ninety 
So then it starts to uh, show just how many people this happened to. Uh, so then it says, further it is said that during the continuation of the teaching of teacher uh, Krakachanda, 980 million householders and renunciates were born as Nagas on account of their lapsed rituals, livelihood, and ethical discipline. During the continuation of the teacher of the teaching of teacher Kanakamuni, there were 640 million. Uh, during the continuation of the teaching of teacher Kashapa, there were 800 million. And during the continuing the continuation of the teacher teaching of our own teacher, 990 million have been or will be born as Nagas. Uh, and then it says, even since our own teacher passed into Nirvana, there are those of the four types of followers who commit sins and of, of whose ethical discipline lapses are reborn as Nagas. So this is showing the number of beings during the first, second, third, and fourth Buddha uh, that uh, have lapsed in their ethics, rituals, or livelihood, but, and then been born uh, as a result as a Naga, but not been born in the hell realm. Uh, so this is uh, um, showing the numbers. What uh, so it's stated that these beings that are born as Nagas, when they pass as Nagas, are born into the higher realms uh, as gods or humans. Uh, so it's said that uh, when beings lapse in their ethical discipline, their rituals or their livelihood, but still can maintain their correct view, philosophical view related to refuge uh, and conviction in karma and its results, then they're born as Nagas. Uh, and so uh, here it's, it's showing uh, um, how many uh, and, and, uh, and, then, and, and, sh and stating this fact uh, relating to, uh, related to the lapsing of discipline uh, and, and where they'll be reborn. But then it's stated that after their Naga birth, they're born as humans and gods. What is the so these beings have, even though these householders and ordained individuals have lapsed in their ethical discipline, livelihood, uh, uh, and rituals, uh, they have still maintained a faith of conviction in the truth. Uh, so therefore, they're born uh, uh, as Nagas. And this faith and conviction in the truth then uh, allows them or makes them after their Maga rebirth to be born as humans or gods. <laughs> Sanjawata Dagi 
So then it says that um, uh, nonetheless it is said that although their practice is not pure upon their death as Nagas and transference to a new life, they are reborn as deities or humans through the power of their unlast conviction in the Mahayana. Except for those who entered uh, except for those who entered the Mahayana, all of them will pass into Nirvana during the teachings of those who will become uh, Buddhas in, the, in this uh, auspicious eon. Um, so it's saying that uh, except for those who have faith and conviction in the Mahayana, because that is attractive to Buddhahood, those beings who, uh, who have this will um, be born as, as humans uh, and uh, deities after they're in the Naga realm. Uh, and then uh, they'll pass into nirvana. Uh, uh, it, it says they'll pass into nirvana during the teaching of those who will become Buddhas in this auspicious eon. So uh, they will then be, enter nirvana in that state, except for those who are on the Mahayana track. Uh, so those beings uh, will enter nirvana from that state, except for the beings on the Mahayana. So they will achieve nirvana. Uh, so there are a thousand Buddhas uh, who will come during this time. Uh, so the thousand Buddhas will come during this time, Buddha Shakyamuni being the fourth, this relating uh, the stories to the four that have come. And then in the future, these other Buddhas will come. So it's stated that those beings uh, who haven't lapsed in their ethical discipline, those students of the Buddha, uh, who have, though, lapsed in ethical discipline, uh, let me start that over. It's stated that those students of the Buddha uh, who have not lapsed in their philosophical views, but have lapsed in their ethical discipline, rituals, and livelihood, 
will be born as Nagas. When they die, uh, uh, they pass on from the Naga rebirth, they'll be born as gods uh, and human, humans and gods. Uh, and it's stated that uh, at, during the time of whatever the next Buddha is, in the thousand Buddhas to come, that being will achieve the state of nirvana. Uh, so, uh, um, a state of nirvana or liberation. And, but it's excluding those beings who are on the Mahayana track. So it's saying that just those who are not on the Mahayana track will achieve this liberation, or, or uh, this liberation. ทำเนี่ยจังรูปตาดีตุ้มทำเนี่ยจังปวงอะไรเบบะชาติสัตว์ถ้าเจอมาเจอเจอเจอเจอเจอเจอเจอเจอเจอเจอเจอเจอเจ
So I, my question was, Ramachay explained the next stanza, and then I asked him, why the, what's the, happens to the Mahayanist? Uh, so uh, Ramachay said, well, because a Mahayanist has to accumulate virtue for three countless eons, uh, that isn't, hasn't happened. So the Mahayanist has to go through all of the accumulations that are necessary that differentiate them as Mahayanas to make them Buddhas. So uh, that work has to take place no matter what Rinpoche is saying, whereas this is speaking of a person who's just uh, a lesser vehicle going to Nirvana uh, um, during the time of whatever the Buddha is, and there's foe destroyers and teachers. During that next time, after that being has left the Naga realm, uh, he or she will achieve liberation. But those on the Mahayana track, we can't say that they become instantly a Buddha because they have these collections that are necessary to accumulate still. Um, so uh, that was the answer to that. Now it says, uh, therefore, uh, solidify the certainty that even the subtlest... Uh, um, so Lama Tsongkhapa is saying in summary, therefore, solidify the certainty that even the subtlest of virtues and non-virtuous actions follow you like shadows and produce both great happiness and great suffering. Then strive to cultivate even the subtlest of virtues and to eliminate even the subtlest of sins and infractions. And then there's another quote from the collection of indicative verses, uh, the, the, the collection of verses put together by the faux destroyers, uh, um, and it relates this point uh, that a very small amount of virtue uh, um, uh, um, and a very small... Uh, uh, amount of non-virtue give rise to uh, uh, great results. So we have to solidify uh, that these uh, um, non-virtuous small things produce great suffering, these small amounts of virtue produce a great amount of happiness, uh, and recognize that they are always with us, uh, these, these actions that we've created. It says, then strive to cultivate even the subtlest of virtues and to eliminate even the subtlest of sins and infractions. It says, just as the shadows of birds who dwell in the sky move along with them, beings are followed by what right and what wrong they have done. Just as when those with few provisions set out on the road and travel in suffering, living beings who have not cultivated good karma travel to the miserable realms. Just as when those who have uh, prepared uh, many provisions set out on the road and travel in happiness, living beings who have cultivated good karma travel to happy realms. So here this first point is, is that the, even though the shadow of a vulture can't be seen when it's up in the top of a tree, uh, we can't smell its shadow, it's still there. This vulture still has a shadow. And when it swoops down, uh, then it can be seen. It's there. Uh, but when it's up high, perched, we can't see its shadow. 
uh, but it's present. Likewise, this virtuous and non-virtuous karma is always present with us. Uh, so that's the uh, example of the vulture. So, so it says, just as the shadows of the birds who dwell in the sky move along with them. So a bird who's way up in the sky, uh, can't, uh, e- even though we can't see it, uh, still has a shadow. The shadow is with that bird. Okay. So then it says, uh, um, in the sky, move along with them. So it's showing how the birds' shadows, even though they're up in the sky, are still with them. Beings are followed by. So beings, even if it's the smallest amount of virtue, which gives rise to uh, great happiness, and the smallest amount of non-virtue, which gives rise to great, uh, great suffering, uh, um, are, are with that being. So those, even the small amounts are with them, as the shadow of a bird is always with it. What right and what wrong they have done. So right referring to virtuous uh, action, wrong referring to non-virtuous action, and it's saying that these actions are uh, stay with the being, stay with the person, just as a shadow. Just as when those with few provisions set out on the road and travel in suffering, living beings who have not cultivated good karma travel to the miserable realms. Just as when those who have prepared many provisions set out on the road and travel in happiness, living beings who have cultivated good karma travel to the happy realm. So here it's saying, uh, if you go out on a journey and you don't have any food with you or anything with you, it would be a a suffering journey. It would be a very difficult journey to go on. Um, So it's very similar to those who have cultivated the pathways of non-virtue that they travel to 
uh, the miserable realm. So they have not prepared uh, uh, properly so they, uh, um, to travel to the higher realms, so they travel to the lower realms. Um, and it says, just as those who have prepared many provisions set out on the road and travel in happiness, uh, living beings who cultivate good karma travel to the road of uh, happy realms. So it's saying those who are prepared and uh, pack all the provisions that are necessary have a happy trip. Uh, likewise, those who uh, engage in good karma, uh, and, uh, which is the pathway to the higher realms, travel to the higher realms, travel to the happy realms. Mm. It says, uh, and also, so that means that from the collection of, and also from the collection of indicative verses. Uh, so uh, then we find do not scorn even the tiniest sin uh, thinking that it will do not harm uh, it is though the accumulation of water uh, it is through the accumulation of drops of water that a great vessel gradually fills so it's saying don't think that oh this is a very small non-virtue it doesn't matter it won't really harm me in any way uh, and it's showing the example of just putting a drop of water at a time eventually fills a bucket up all the way so even little amounts of non-virtue uh, will uh, eventually uh, overcome you. 
so we see that a small amount of non-virtue gives rise to a great amount of uh, suffering. A small amount of virtue gives rise to a great amount of happiness. Uh, so we needn't think that it's only a small sin. It won't uh, harm me in any way. And says then further, do not think that the commission of even a tiny sin will not pursue you. Just as a large vessel is filled by following uh, drops of water, so too is a fool filled up with sins accumulated a little at a time. Uh, do not think that the cultivation of even a tiny virtue will not pursue you. Just as a large pot is filled by falling drops of water, so too are the steadfast uh, filled up by virtues accumulated a little at a time. Uh, so here the virtues um, uh, um, that are accumulated a little at a time are those virtues that are, are the pathways to the higher realms of happiness and so forth. So here, virtues cause happiness, non-virtues cause suffering. A small non-virtue causes a great amount of unhappiness uh, or suffering, and a uh, um, small virtue can cause a great amount of happiness. Uh, so uh, this is the meaning of this. Uh, so we're, we're not finished. We're going to go back over it again in the future. Uh, so uh, we'll, we'll look at it then. Uh, so... Uh, so we finished uh, the section on uh, the certainty of karma and then the magnification of karma, but we're not done with it yet, the magnification of karma. Uh, so we'll do the concluding mandala offering and dedication to Chainaram J. Uh, so we'll do the concluding model offering and dedication prayer. The fundamental ground is scented with incense and strewn with flowers, adorned with Mount Meru, the four continents, the sun and the moon. I imagine this as a Buddha land and offer it. May all sentient beings enjoy this pure realm. I dedicate whatever virtues I have collected for the benefit of the teachings and of all sentient beings, and in particular for the essential teachings of Venerable Lozandrapa to shine forever. I send forth this jeweled mandala to you, precious Guru. I dedicate all this virtue to emulate the knowledge of the hero Manjushri and likewise Samantabhadra as well. With whatever dedication is praised as supreme by all the conquerors who traverse the three times, I also dedicate all my roots of virtue for the sake of auspicious deeds. In that pure land surrounded by snowy mountains, you are the source of all benefit and happiness. All powerful Avokateshvara Tenzin Yatso may stay until samsara's end. I pray for the long life of the precious Kensar Wandok, upholder of scriptural and realizational doctrines, the spiritual friend who trained extensively in the five great philosophical texts, exceptional wisdom and perseverance. Tuji Rimshi Gutsi Shabi Dharma. Tulam Rimchemo Kanga Trilam.